0: You are listening to the 12 Stone podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Miles Welch as he delivers. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So welcome to 12 Stone here online at the campuses. So glad that you're with us today. How are you all doing this morning? Come on. It's a great day. It's a great day. Listen. Today's the the last uh, of our time in Romans chapter eight. We've been looking at six convictions that we can have uh, in our relationship with God. And today we're gonna cover the last conviction. I wanna give it to you right off the top. Here it is on the screen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a good one, isn't it? Let's say that together. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is a precious, sacred conviction, isn't it? Here's what it means. It means that when we say yes to Jesus, we enter into a relationship with God where we can have assurance every day of his love. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Today is a, we're just gonna kinda celebrate the love of God. And we're gonna uh, start the teaching in kind of a unique way to start the celebration. We're gonna start the teaching with a baptism, right? And so, yeah, it's very cool, it's very cool. And so listen, baptism is when someone goes public with their yes to Jesus. It's a way that all of us get to celebrate what God has done in the life of one of us. And so 12 Stone, across all the campuses as a church family, we're gonna celebrate the baptism of Edward. We're gonna hear his story when he comes out of the water. Let's celebrate like we know
1: what the love of God means for his life. Let's listen in. That's right, so 12 Stone, I wanna introduce you to Edward this morning, Edward. God has been doing some amazing things in your life. And I wanna share with you guys his story and his own words. So he says this, I grew up without a father and I pursued love through alcohol, drugs, women, and gangs. I ended up going to prison from ages 18 to 31. I spent a lot of time in jail. I accepted Christ when I was incarcerated in Virginia, but my relationship with Jesus was surface level. I didn't know how to engage his love or power to live differently. When I left jail and came home, I got married and had a son, but I didn't live changed. I continued to make selfish choices. But in all of this, I always felt a sense of someone directing my steps, that God was always with me. About a month ago, God gave me the courage to get out of my comfort zone, and I moved away from everything I knew to Georgia to a Recovery Center. That center brings me to 12 stone every single week. I started, yeah, we can celebrate that. Awesome. I started engaging on a deeper level with God and he asked me to share my story with you. I once felt ashamed of my story, but because of Jesus, I am free from shame. I was once a selfish person, a liar, a cheater, but God brought me back home like the prodigal son. His plan is bigger than sobriety. He gives peace and love, a love that you cannot find anywhere else. And I'm ready to say more of you, less of me, for the rest of my life. And So Edward, man, we're all excited about your profession of faith today. And I got two questions for you, my brother. Do you trust Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes. And do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Then it is with that profession of faith, my brother, that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's right.
2: That's right. Here across the
0: campus. So good. Unbelievable. What it's all about, isn't it? God is so good, and and uh, God, I'm wrecked. I wasn't planning to be wrecked. Darn it! Um, We're listen. We're going to end the teaching, celebrating the love of God. Also, we're going to be taking communion, and communion is is just another way to celebrate uh, the love of God. And we believe during that time, there's going to be a uh, for many of us a fresh encounter of who God is, and that the Holy Spirit is going to Renew the conviction inside of us that nothing can separate us from the love of God and and listen We know that there are many among us uh, here and at the campuses who've not yet said yes to Jesus and so while we are t- taking communion as a church family across the campuses, some of you are going to uh, say, I need to say yes to Jesus, and that's great because we, we're going to have an opportunity for you to do that, and uh, there's even a tank that you can be baptized in at every campus, and so uh, you can come forward at the end of service and be baptized while we're all taking communion. And so God has a little bit of something for everyone in the service today, a lot going on. We, we believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring, and so let's prepare our hearts to hear what God might say to each of us. Can we pray together? Can I pray over us? God, we, first we pause and we say thank you to, uh, for what you did in, in the life of Edward. That's an unbelievable story. What you do in souls after soul after soul is remarkable. And, and uh, our story might not be like his, but our desperation was. And you redeemed us and you forgave us and you cleansed us and you've invited us into new life that we needed just as much as he did. And so God, today, we open our hearts to you and what you uh, might wanna do through us. Lord, we we do. We will be attentive to your voice and we'll respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, still wrecked. So um, let's climb into this last conviction. It's in Romans chapter eight, uh, verse 38. So grab your Bibles, grab your uh, devices. If you don't have a Bible, there's one at your seat. It's page 1134 in your worship center Bible. It'll be here uh, on the TV screen as well. Romans 838, this is where this conviction comes from. For I'm convinced, Paul writes, the, the author of Romans, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how the chapter ends. And here's the conviction in case you missed it. Let's just put it back up there again. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. See, Paul invites us to live with daily assurance, daily assurance of the love of God in our lives. And here's why this is important. Faith is more than living with insurance for the future. Faith is living with assurance for today. You get that? See, for Paul, faith was more than just, uh, you know, that you said yes to Jesus, so one day in the future you get to go to heaven, like some kind of, you know, eternal uh, insurance plan. For Paul, faith meant that we could have assurance every single day of God's love in our lives. Wouldn't you like that kind of assurance? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that change things in your soul? Wouldn't that, don't you want that for you and your family? Listen, we have to know what Paul knew so that we could have the conviction that Paul had. We have to know what Paul knew to have the conviction that Paul had. And it has something to do with this. Let's go ahead and put that on the screen. It has something to do with this. I have read the terms and conditions how many of us, If we, you guys know what this is, right? Whenever you're signing up for something, logging on to something, doing something like that, how, like we always get this and there's a dilemma, right? Are you gonna do it or not? How many of you, you just never do it? Just raise your hands here at the campuses. You never do it. You, yeah, I don't, I, I never do this. I have no idea what I'm signing up for most of the time. No clue, I have not, not any idea uh, whatsoever could be anything. My, my mom would be so disappointed in me if she knew how many times I looked at this and went, oh yeah, totally done that, and moved on. The, uh, they've done research on this, 91% of people almost never look at what's uh, underneath that. How many of you are in the 9% that you look at it often? Look around with judgment on everyone else. That's right, you're better than us, we're all knuckleheads. You probably drive the speed limit too, good for you. <laughs> the rule followers in the, in the room, awesome. Listen, uh, it's not me, I have no idea what I'm signing up for whatsoever, you could put anything in there. I'm like, yep, okay. Matter of fact, Amazon did. Um, Do you know this? When we all signed up for Amazon, this is one of the paragraphs in the terms and conditions. However. This restriction will not apply in the event of the occurrence of a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses, wait, what a minute, uh, human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living human flesh, blood, brain, or nerve tissue, and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization. That's in there. We all sign up for it. That's awesome, huh? They thought of the zombie apocalypse and put it in there. Here's what's amazing. They think we're still gonna be shopping. Like, think about that. That's a pretty strong sense of your own brand, isn't it? Like, this is what they think of us. We're gonna be like, holed up in our house, windows boarded up. We're in trauma. We just shot the neighbor in the head because he was trying to eat one of our kids. And they think we're gonna be like, man, wonder what the deal of the day is. Just go look for that's what they think of us and who knows they could be right they could be right listen I we could be signed up for everything well what's my point well listen obviously a relationship with God is not like signing up for Amazon obviously that's true of course the analogy breaks down but many of us say yes to Jesus and we have no idea what the nuances of the relationship with God is actually like We really don't know what it is that we signed up for. We don't know who he is, and we don't know what it means to be in a relationship with him. And listen, when we don't know those things, when we're unsure, it's hard to have a conviction that his love for us is available every day. See, we have to know what Paul knew so that we could have the conviction that Paul had. Does that make sense? Plus, I wanted to talk about the zombie apocalypse. We have to know what Paul knew. And here's the deal. Paul knew three truths about who God is. And because he knew those truths, he had assurance of God's love in his life every day. And the good news is we don't have to guess what those truths are. He was literally just talking about them uh, in, the, in the verses previous uh, to the ones that we just read. So in our teaching, we're just gonna unpack these three truths and walk through why, what Paul knew and why he had assurance uh, th- that uh, he could have God's love in his life every day. So let's go ahead and look at the first one. It's verse 31 of chapter 8. Here's what it says. If God is, and Paul uses rhetorical questions to make points about who God is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Tells us something about God. But listen, you have to know who Paul is writing to so... So, you know, and, and kind of the context, so you know what it means. So, let me give you some background. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. This is the center of the Roman Empire. And this is during a time when persecution of the, of the church, persecution of the Christians, had not yet happened, but it was on the horizon. It was like any day now, they're gonna start being uh, persecuted. Because Caesar did not like them, because everyone worships Caesar, but they wouldn't worship Caesar, they only worship Jesus. He didn't like the competition. And so they knew, listen, they lived with an uncertainty about their future, that any day Caesar was going to turn on them, and any day it could happen that suddenly Caesar would be against them. And that's the uncertainty that they lived in about their future, and Paul is using that uncertainty to talk about God and to contrast it with our relationship with God. Here's what Paul's saying. Uh, this, is, this might be a takeaway for you. If you're taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down. God is always for us and never turns on us. Let's say that together. God is always for us and never turns on us. That's what Paul's getting at, that because God is always for us, we can have assurance that he's never gonna turn on us. Paul's telling these Christians that that God is not like Caesar. You don't have to worry and wait for the day that he might turn on you, he never will. And, and he's saying to them, just because you live in uncertainty about your future, listen, you don't have to live in the same uncertainty about your faith. You can have assurance every day that God will never turn on you. And what's true for them is true for us. God is always for us, do you know that? God is always for us, he never turns on us. We can have assurance every day that he's with us. And listen, we're designed to live in that kind of assurance. So many people need to hear this. I've talked to so many Christians who, they live like any moment it could happen, like they're saved, but at any moment they could become unsaved. Like like at any moment, God could just like, they could lose their salvation. And listen, this is not what God intended. This is not how God intended us to live. And this puts an unhealth inside of us. It makes us do crazy things. It makes us think crazy thoughts. Some of us are just like this. Like we're driving and when the lights are green, we're like God's for us. And then the lights turn red, we're like, "Well, God must turn against us. God must be against me." Or, you know, we get we get an unexpected pay raise, "Well, God is for me." We, there's an unexpected bill, "God's against me." We're a Georgia fan. God is for me. We become an Alabama fan. God is against me, right? That's what happens. That's what happens. See what I did there? Listen, here's the point. Here's the point. God is not up in heaven watching you to see what you do so that he knows how to treat you. Think about that. He's not up in heaven looking at you and going, oh, you did it good, so let me be for you. Oh, nope, you did it bad. Let me be against you. That's not who God is. It's in God's nature to always be for you, to never turn on you. That's who God is. And, and listen, sometimes though, we do turn on ourselves, and there's consequences for that. Like, like, listen, like if you go do late night Taco Bell run, that's not God, but you're still gonna pay a price for that, aren't you? You didn't lose your salvation, you're just gonna feel like you lost your salvation. That's what that's uh, gonna feel like. Listen, that's not God turning on you, you kind of turned on yourself. But God will never turn on you. That's what Paul knew about who God is. He's always for us. So Paul lived with a daily assurance that God would never turn on him, and this gave him conviction about the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God is always for me. He never turns on me. That's what Paul knew, but he knew some other things. Let's go on in, the, in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's the next kind of rhetorical question that Paul has along the way, and the logic of what Paul is saying is simple. It's really simple, because God gave us the most difficult, painful, costly thing imaginable in giving up his son to die for us on the cross, that of course, of course, of course, God would also, along with Jesus, give us everything we need. That's his logic in this, and and here's how I wrote it. Here's how, how we might write it down. God is always gracious and never holds out on us. Can we say that together? God is always gracious and never holds out on us. What Paul knew about God was that he was gracious, so Paul had assurance every day that God was not holding out on me. Whatever else God was doing, he was not holding out on me. That's And listen, here, here's the bottom line. like I believe this. And I, I, like, Paul's logic is pretty sound, isn't it? That's a good argument. He gave Jesus, he'd do anything. The problem is, I don't live in logic. I live in everyday, I live in, like, real life. I have a wife and children and a job and bills and all of that. And sometimes, listen, sometimes I have to admit it feels like I don't have what I need. Can we admit that? And sometimes I could even admit that it feels like God's kind of holding out on me and maybe he could be doing more. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I was uh, praying a while ago and talking to God about that, that God, you, maybe you should be doing a little bit more for me. He's like that's called whining, but I, I call it praying. <laughs> I was praying, and while I was praying and telling God how he 's holding out on me and he needs to do better about that, uh, he reminded me of uh, things that would you know something that would happen with my youngest daughter, Morgan. Uh, when she was a toddler. And I I call it uh, sippy cup battles that I would have with my daughter when she was, she's in college now, but when she was a toddler. Here's what would happen uh, with my daughter. She would be drinking a sippy cup and she would drink it until it was empty. And so I would want to give her a full cup. And so I would walk over to her and I would try to take her empty cup from her so I could give her the full cup but she held on tighter to her empty cup and she looked at me like I was taking something from her. Listen, I wasn't taking anything from her. I was trying to give her something, right? She just didn't know it because she was holding on to something that was empty. You guys get my point? Yeah, right. You thought that was a story about kids and now God just got real in the room, didn't he? Listen. It's like us to believe God is holding out on us when really we're holding out on him. It's like us to believe that. One of the most curious things about us, and this is, I've seen this in so many people that I've talked to, I see this in my own life sometimes, that listen, how comfortable we are holding on to familiar emptiness and not letting go of it so that God can give us fullness. How comfortable we do that. And then we, and we blame God that he's holding out on us because listen, when you hold empty things, it gives you an empty life. And then we blame God that we don't have the full life that it seems like he promised. But we hold on and God's trying to take it and we're like, don't you take my thing. It's curious how we do that and listen, I think that God wants to move among us today. When we take communion, I think for some of us, this is, this is what you and God need to do business about because some of us are holding on to empty things and then we're wondering why we don't have the full life that God promised us. And we feel like he's holding out on us. Really, we're holding out on him. I think some of us, listen, I've talked to people and they, listen, you might want you might want the, the better marriage, and feel like, God, why isn't God giving me the marriage? But you're holding on to emptiness. You're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And you blame God, but you're the one holding out. And some of you, maybe you're single and you're like, I want, why can't God, You know, why won't he give me the awesome relationship, but you won't let go of the unhealthy one? And it's not God. He's always gracious. We do this with all kinds of things. We do this with jobs. We do this with habits. We we do this all the time. And if God is talking to you right now about something you're holding on to, then maybe this time at the end, this celebration of God's love for you would mean that you, as you're taking communion, that you say, God, I'm done holding this thing and I'm tired of the empty life it's giving me. Maybe that would be a meaningful moment for you. Maybe that's what you should do. That's just between you and God. But I think for some of us in the room, that would be it. That would be the celebration of the love of God. Listen, you can trust God as you let go of the empty things. God is always gracious. He never withholds. He knows how to give you the good things. Does that make sense to you guys? Let's talk about the Third thing Paul knew about God that we have to know. Comes right out of Romans eight thirty three and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. There's a lot in these two verses, isn't there? There's a lot. Here, here's what I want us to know. Here's what I think God is t- Paul knew. God always forgives us and never condemns us. Can we say that together? God always forgives us and never condemns us. That's who he is. This is the precious truth that sits at the core of our faith, isn't it? That we have a forgiving God and we can live in daily assurance that he's never condemning us. I wanna make this really practical and I wanna talk to us. This, listen, this truth, how this plays out is in two ways. It's about guilt and it's also about shame. It's about our guilt and it's about in shame. We need to talk about our guilt and our shame. I know that sounds like a big party uh, to us, right? I went to church, talked about guilt and shame, awesome. But listen, sometimes we need to wander in and bravely go into the more tender places inside our souls. Sometimes we need to do that so that God's healing can come into those tender places. And so let's, let's do that. Let's talk about guilt and shame. What does that mean? Well, well, they're not exactly the same thing. This would be worth knowing. Guilt is about what we have done. It's the things we have done. It could be one thing, it could be just so many little things. And it's a weight that sits upon our soul. That's what guilt is. But shame is different than that. Shame is about who we are. It's about what we are, who we are. And shame's not a weight, shame's more of a wound that cuts us in our soul. It's what it is, and listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with both our guilt and our shame. He took the weight of our guilt on himself, and, that, and we normally talk about that. We don't often talk about shame, but listen. He often took, he, he also, along with the guilt, he took our shame, our condemnation, our rejection upon himself. See, what Jesus did on the cross, not only made it available to us to be forgiven in our sins, he made it available to us to be redeemed in who we are. We can be forgiven and redeemed. And I wanna talk about those two things. Because some of us have said yes to Jesus And we live in a relationship with God, but we still carry the weight of the guilt of our sins. Some of us do that. We don't need to, but we do. Some of us are stuck right at the guilt. And the weight of guilt can be heavy, can't it? It can be. Um, I was talking to a lady uh, a while back Um, who's in her 40s, and She carried the weight of guilt for something she had done in her early 20s. Still, she wanted to talk about it. She had carried the weight of guilt for 20 years. She was a follower of Jesus. She had said yes. Listen, she was forgiven, but she couldn't forgive herself. And the weight was heavy. You could see it on her and it was owning her soul and we began to talk about Jesus and the cross and I invited her to pray and to ask God to show his forgiveness he had already forgiven her but to show to make it real and to take the weight of the guilt and to free her and this this lady prayed and she cried and cried and cried she I, I watched a 20-year weight come off her shoulders. Listen, when she left my office, she literally looked different. Her face looked different, because the weight of guilt had been removed, and many of us are stuck right there, maybe not as intense as her, but the same ideas. her, "God's forgiven us. We can't forgive ourselves. We live in the weight of a guilt. Maybe it's over something you did recently. You just don't know how to process through it. Maybe something you did a long time ago. You've carried the weight of guilt. Listen, the weight of guilt can be heavy. Maybe it's not one thing. Maybe it's just many little things. Just, man, you keep messing up over and over and over and the guilt of it it just carries deep in your soul. Listen, for you, if that's you stuck there, then today what would be a celebration of the love of God would mean that when you take communion and you take the cup and the bread, that you lay down the guilt that, that's weighing on you. Can you do that? Will we do that? Will you ask God, just confess your sin to him? Say, God, I'm tired of carrying this weight. You forgave me, help me to forgive myself. Help me to live in what you did for me. See, it's an encounter with the love of God. That, for you, would be the celebration the weight of guilt removed for others of us. Listen, for others of us, it's not so much guilt; it's it's shame. It's not what we've done; it's it's just who we are. And uh, I, I, God, kept telling me that I have to share with you a story of my life, and I kept saying to God, "That's a horrible idea." Um, and and I said, God, we can have a very professional, clinical conversation about shame, and I think people would like that, and God said to me, no, I want you to share your story, and I hate my story, <laughs> if I could be honest, I hate looking weak, I'm not sure you'll even understand it, I half the time I'm not sure I know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to trust that as I share my story that somehow God uh, is going to talk to you about it, because some of us are stuck in our shame, and I have been, so let me tell you my story. Um, when I came to this church 18 years ago, uh, my wife and I came, we were, we were a mess. Listen, I had, I had been trying to be a pastor for years and failing uh, in, in multiple places. I was giving new definition to what failing forward looked like. Um, and I had you know done pretty bad in a church in California, a couple churches really, done horrible in a church in Colorado. And, uh, you know, years of living like that. And, and um, I started to wonder what was wrong with me, and so did my wife. And, and, uh, and listen, she had good reason. She was tired of me dragging her across the country failing. Really wasn't giving her much to work with. And when we came to this church, uh, we didn't show up, we washed up onto the shores. And I was hurting i was i was hurting i mean how like how many times can you fail can how many times can you see fail in the rearview mirror till you start thinking it's in what's what's in front of you too you know what i mean i mean like how many times do you fail before it starts to become a part of you and it starts to go a little a little bit deeper in you and and starts to almost define you listen I believe that all shame is attached to a lie. It's the devil's lie, and it's a phrase, a thought, a lie that we rehearse over and over again in our minds till it becomes part of us, till it sinks deep. And my lie was, by the way, does that make any sense? And guys, my, my lie was that I was destined for failure. And that no matter how good my life got, somehow, way, I was going to mess it up. And I lived with that lie. I did. I lived with that lie for a long time, and it was undoing to me. It would mess me up. It made me cynical and jaded. I mean, whenever, I, like, whenever anything was going right, I could see, the, I could see how it was going to go wrong. I could just see the end. And I, I lived that way. And I knew something was wrong with me. I just couldn't figure out how to get it fixed. And, and finally, I, I started bringing it to God and saying, God, I need you to heal me of this. I need you to fix me. And, and, uh, and God did. Over the course of a week, he, he did. He healed me. It, it started with a conversation with my wife. We were uh, driving in the car, talking about the future, my favorite subject. And while we were driving, my wife just looked at me intently, and she said, Miles, I don't know what it is about you, but God is telling me to tell you this. You're destined for greatness. <sighs> that was the beginning. And I was like, man, what's up with that? That's weird. And like my wife's trying to encourage me in some random way, right? And, and then the next morning... The next morning I got an email from a friend in Colorado, and it said, it was a really short email, it said, Miles felt led to tell you this, uh, God, you are destined for greatness. Don't know what it means, hope it helps. And then by the end of the week I got a phone call from a friend in Colorado or in California. Same thing. Same exact thing. God. God's telling me to tell you that you're destined for greatness. Isn't that kind of God? See, God, he doesn't just heal us in our guilt. He removes our shame. He redeems who we are. And some of us, this is what's holding us back. Can we be honest about this? Isn't this the place where we get to be honest? And for some of us, it would be meaningful, this communion moment, to come and bring your shame. and Say, God, I need you to heal me. I'm tired of this lie. And listen, your, your lie might be like mine. It might be that you just feel destined to fail or nothing's gonna work out or that you just can't live up, you're not good enough, that lane of lies. And I think others of us, it's more relational. Maybe, maybe you're single and you're looking for someone and you can't find them. And the lie starting to sink in that maybe no one is there for you and maybe you're unlovable. Or maybe there's some sin in your life that's taking you out and you just, you feel like you can't win and the lie that you're defeated is just creeping into your soul. Maybe you don't even know what the lie is. You just know there's something wrong. There's something in there. I need to get it fixed. You bring that to God in communion. That that would be how you celebrate the love of God. You bring your shame, bring the lie, and set it down before him and say, God, will you heal me? Does that make any sense whatsoever? Does it, you guys? God not only heals our sin and forgives us for sin, he heals us for our shame. He redeems who we are. He's so very kind. That's the love of God. See, that's what Paul knew about God and that's why Paul lived in the daily assurance that he loved him. He had the conviction and that's why we would take a day to celebrate the love of God because it's so very good and we can be assured of it. I told you we were going to start with baptism and we are going to end with communion and communion is just a way for us to celebrate the love of God. Some of us This is a moment for us to say yes to him and actually be baptized. And if God is stirring, we'll talk about that. But I'm gonna uh, pass the service to the campus pastors. Campus pastors are gonna lead this profound moment where we believe God is gonna show up and encounter us.